Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. He was looking for the knives. That's why we were running. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best 58 minutes and 15 seconds of your entire life. It's Under the Radar. Trade Deadline Edition. We are recording this on Tuesday evening, August 2nd, about three and a half hours after the trade deadline has passed. We finally have seen the dust clear. I am here, Derek Van Riper, along with Ian Kahn and a special guest, the voice of Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt. Patrick, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it was my pleasure, and gosh, I needed the three and a half hours just to get everything caught up. I was I was saying before we started, uh, the Google News alert on uh, trade deadline trades was binging like every 15 seconds. I felt like the hardest working hotel clerk in uh, North America. It was unlike anything I have ever seen. Now, Ian is on the road, so to complicate matters further, Ian, how did you try and keep up with all the happenings today? Because this was the wildest trade deadline I can remember. Oh, my goodness gracious. My, oh, my, oh, me. Uh, First thing I want to just say is, Patrick Davitt, it's an honor to have you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We both have now guested on your show. As I said on your show, what an honor it was for me to be a guest on your show. I uh, grew up, I'm going to say grew up in the game, listening to you um, interview people. It's literally the Charlie Rose without the creepiness of fantasy baseball. Um, (laughs) And I just want to say, hey, you know, uh, welcome to Under the Radar, part of the fantasy baseball (laughs) party, you know, DVR. I was like, come on, you're going to give it a go. You're going to give it a go. It's late enough. But Patrick, uh, it's really just an honor to have you. Welcome. Welcome to Under the Radar. I want to say that too. I'm just going to take another second DVR before we jump in. Patrick, thank you for coming. Is it uh, you know you you were happy to join us? We're so happy you you wanted to come on the show. It made us feel really good. Why'd you want to come on? Well, I tell you what, I, I'm uh, kind of one of those guys who listens to a lot of fantasy baseball podcasts, and uh, for sure, under the radar is one every week, and rates and barrels is the other. I listen to those two shows to the exclusion of almost everything else there are others and i don't want to like sit here and name off all the podcasts i listen to but top of the list is uh, is your two shows at the athletic and gosh it's just like uh, to me it's like being invited on to better call saul or something like that you know it's <laughs> something that i'd really really enjoy and it's quite a quite a a thrill and quite tickled to be part of the part of the fun yeah, echoing Ian, uh, really happy to have you here, Patrick. I think last time we got together in person, at least one of the last times, we were in Midtown Manhattan. It was a Tout Wars weekend. Probably 2019 was the last live one that we all yeah. got together for, and that was the oh, that yeah. was the year that Patrick yeah, yeah. Davitt and I, along with Clay Link and Tim Heaney, bumped into a very intoxicated fellow in uh, a bar in Midtown, and I think we left a bar for fear of being stabbed. 
Are you serious? Come on now, you Midwestern Canadian folk. Like, don't be turning my city into like a scary, scary place, you know. It's a pretty nice place to be. I mean, you just got to go to the right places. I, I, Who are you with Clay Link? It was that Clay Link, I tell you. It was that Clay Link, I'm sure. He, he, he made it happen, I'm telling you. The four softest people <laughs> I know, I'm included in that group, somehow <laughs> ran into like the one yeah. angry blackout drunk person in Manhattan uh, and somehow said something that upset him enough to the point where we literally speed walked our way out of the bar oh, several blocks away to a different location, which was uh, one of the more bizarre Tout Wars memories I have. We had a lot of fun that day after the uh, the near stabbing. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I remember the guy was a butcher. That was the other thing. And then he started <laughs> yeah. talking about this collection of knives he had, and we should all go over to Are his house serious? and look at his knives. Oh yeah, it was really weird. And then uh, we kind of sidled out the door while we thought he wasn't looking. And then we started, you know, our best Usain Bolt impressions, which was not very good <laughs> Usain Bolt impressions, I must say. But we uh, hot footed it a couple of blocks before we realized this guy couldn't possibly run more than about four feet without falling down. So we had a, like just a big laugh and then we went and just found someplace else to sit down and listen to 70s music at a we went to another place and the disc jockey was playing old uh, old 70s hits which was a lot of fun too tout wars a lot of fun that uh, works out i look forward to when we can all uh get back together in the tower so back dvr to uh to your question it was a really remarkable day, I have to say. And, uh, you know, keeping track of it, I was getting little text messages from Alex Cushing uh, saying, oh, Soto finally got traded. I get little uh, little dings from uh, Robert Mershak saying, hey, uh, Ian, this this has shifted. It's really kind of made me very mindful of what's going on in, in the AL labor and NL uh, tout wars world, trying to figure all that out. But it kind of feels like it feel, felt more like a fantasy baseball league than ever today it was like all right well all the good teams are going for it and everyone else is sort of rebuilding and i don't know if you guys felt the same way but it certainly had that feeling to me and it was like all right well hey let's play fantasy baseball yeah i I definitely had that feeling today and let's start with the moves the padres made i mean the padres was a team that said this is my year and obviously the implications of the juan soto trade expand beyond this season but They get Juan Soto and Josh Bell in a deal with the Nationals. They made a trade uh, on Monday to get Josh Hader, and then they added Brandon Drury as a very late post uh, or right around the trade of the line sort of move too. A lot of players leaving, and I think in terms of the guys they're getting, it's just upgrades across the board for, for Drury, Bell, and Soto because the quality of the Padres' offense the rest of the season should be outstanding. So... I guess the question I have for you, Patrick, is you look at the Padres and what they did. Are there any other winners aside from the principals involved in this team really taking that leap to elite status? I don't know that there's any other winners on San Diego, but I think C.J. Abrams has to be counted a winner. It was starting to look like he might never find his way into that San Diego lineup, but he looks like he has a pretty clear path to playing time in Washington. They have to see what they've got. He was kind of the centerpiece of the trade as far as Washington was concerned. And if he gets his feet under him and I think starts to hit, he could be leading off and stealing bases for Washington before not too long. And I think the uh, prospects that went over from San Diego, especially the outfielders, James Woods and Robert Hassel, they're going to have a faster path to, to the big time than they would have had in San Diego in all likelihood. And they could be here as soon as 2024. And Dynasty League players, I think, start to need to pay attention to these two guys. They're both power speed guys, and I think they could be really interesting. I like what, as you said, I I think 
Brandon Drury's a big winner, a, a big change in counting stat possibilities, playing in that much more uh, robust lineup in San Diego. The only question is going to be playing time for him. They all of a sudden seem to have a, a embarrassment of riches in San Diego. Ian, I want to throw this to you for a minute. I know you've liked C.J. Abrams for a long time, and I think with prospects, the one short-term thing that can slow them down is either being up and down between AAA and the big leagues or if they're on a contending team not having a spot to call their own. Uh, What are your expectations for Abrams, not only in the final two months of this season, but also looking ahead to 2023 now that there's a very clear path to an everyday role for him. I mean, it's pretty darn exciting. If, you, if you're a C.J. Abrams owner right now, you got to be feeling really good. I'm looking at this trade, and I'm thinking back to last week when we were going over what the trade would look like. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what we said. Exactly. Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, Jarlin Susanna, no, and Luke Voigt, no. So maybe not. But those four top prospects... Those are really good players, and it's kind of the only way that you can make a trade like that. For C.J. Abrams, I've talked about his makeup for years now, how much I like him, his speed. He's got power. He's got pop. What I'm wondering is whether Luis Garcia actually ends up back at second base and they move Abrams to short. I think that's what I would do if I were in that circumstance. Garcia being a little bit less good with the glove, I think. I think he'll, he'll, he'll fit in beautifully at second base. I think C.J. Abrams starts starting tomorrow. And as soon as he arrives, he will be there. Hassel's going to be a little while. Gore's going to go right in. Wood is, like like Patrick said, you're looking at 2024, 2025, really. Um, but I, I don't know how I can even imagine saying this, but did they actually just get value for Juan Soto? Did they actually pull that off? It kind of looks like they might have. Like some version of value. DVR, is that right? Is that what you're feeling? To whatever degree you're able to get value back for a player that good they did Mm. now patrick can you think of a player at this level going back as long as you've been a baseball fan have you have you seen a trade like this before or is this as unprecedented as it seems I can't think of one, but I'm not going to say. I'm sure somebody out there listening is going to go, you idiot, you're forgetting about this. But I think the the trade that jumped him into my mind, and maybe this is because of being up here in Canada, was when they traded Wayne Gretzky from the Oilers to the LA Kings. Oh. And, and that was a kind of a different circumstance with the ownership and that kind of thing in Edmonton. But uh, Edmonton got back a pretty decent haul in that trade, and it, it went on to actually be pretty good for both teams. And I had kind of the same feeling about this one that for me the i think that san diego wins the trade if there's such a thing because what they gave up although it's pretty good talent um, i like mackenzie gore of course those two outfielders i mentioned and uh Eventually, they got Eric Hosmer off their roster in a separate trade, which is actually addition by subtraction. But I think the hidden thing here that maybe is not being fully appreciated is they got Josh Bell out of this deal, too. And in some of the hitter lists I've seen in the last week or so, Josh Bell's actually ahead of Juan Soto in a lot of lists as far as being productive. And I think Josh Bell might be the real key to this trade in the long run because everybody knew what Juan Soto was capable of. But Josh Bell was kind of the the throw-in that is actually way, way better than a, just a throw-in. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, Josh Bell is has really delivered. And I've talked about on the show that I just don't get Josh Bell. Like, I don't understand. I don't like his swing. I don't like the way he moves. I don't like necessarily the way he plays. But you cannot argue with the production. I mean, he... And now, 
you're moving. I, I cannot imagine what's going to happen to Juan Soto when he when the lineup is going to be. I mean, is it, am I wrong? It's going to be Fernando Tatis leading off. It's going to be Juan Soto batting second and Manny Machado batting third. I mean, we're now going from Juan walk Soto to Juan going to be getting some pitches Soto. And I mean, who do you take in, in top three? Do you take guys? Do you take Mookie Betts, uh, Trey Turner into Freddie Freeman? Or do you take Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Manny Machado? Who's the better top three? What do you got? DBR, what do you got? I think if Tatis is completely healthy, you would take the Padres trio. It's close. It's fun. It's you know, it's meant for October. I, I don't know. I know they play 12 more times. The oh Dodgers God. and Padres play 12 more times this be season insane. before the playoffs. So the Padres are built for October to be dangerous. They're dangerous wow. everywhere. And I think one of the other interesting things that the hater trade is just old news already. And that was a pretty big deal when they did it because Taylor Rogers has struggled. Hater is better than Taylor Rogers by a decent margin when they're both going well. And you could look at that trade and say, well, maybe the Brewers wanted to be a little bit deeper in the bullpen. So they took the flyer on Lamette. Of course, they got Robert Gosser, a prospect, and Esteri Ruiz, who probably can help them in some capacity in the final two months, even though he goes to Nashville right now. There's more to unpack almost on the Milwaukee side of that. Haters, the closer in San Diego. Yeah. Done deal. I think he'll be fine the rest of the way and probably one of the three best closers in baseball for the rest of the season. And he's just more lights out than any of the other relievers they've had in that pen. But could the Brewers become a team that switched to a committee? I mean, is your expectation, Patrick, that Devin Williams just moves into Josh Hader's role? Or do you think Craig Council and the Brewers become one of the dreaded closer by committee teams where Williams and Taylor Rogers and maybe some other relievers on occasion get into the mix for saves? No, I'm fully expecting that Devin Williams is going to be the closer, at least right from when it starts. And I, I imagine they'll leave him in their closing games until he actually gives up an earned run, which he hasn't done since, I think, May the 10th or something like that. He's just been absolutely lights out. And one of the things I think when you're a manager that you want out of your closer is, this is a guy I can throw out there and then I can sit back and relax because I know nothing's going to happen. And I don't see that there's any reason that Milwaukee would want to go with a committee. I think maybe Rob Rodgers, who was actually quite successful in Minnesota as a setup guy and occasional, you know, if the chips fall and they need somebody to get a couple of left-handers out in the ninth, he's got to save here and there over his career in Minnesota. But, you know, just looking at the skills and just looking at the metrics, I can't see that anybody would choose to run a committee in Milwaukee if they had a guy like Devin Williams. It would have been like, to me, it would have been like running a committee in New York when you had uh, Mariano Rivera. and. Ooh. You know, I, I mean, Devin Williams, you know, that pitch mix that he has and that that kind of swooping slider just reminds me of an unhittable pitch like the Rivera cutter was. And I'm not saying he's another Mariano Rivera. Certainly, no, I'm, he's I'm got a long it. way to go I'm before that. But, geez, uh, I can't. Uh, I can't see them not using Devin Williams as the closer until he does something to play himself out of the role. That's the thing right there. What you just said is the thing. Um, emotionally, and I talk about that. We talk about this on the show a lot. What shifts for him, for Devin Williams, when he becomes the guy, right? He's now the guy. I agree with you. I think he's the guy. And I, to me, it's this change up. That's just ridiculous. He's a guy that I picked up 
with Wilson Caraman in uh, Devil's Rejects with the idea that we would keep him going into 2023 when Hader would no longer be with uh, the Brewers. Mershak has been saying, though, they're going to trade Hader. They're gonna, and he's a Milwaukee guy like you, DVR. I was talking to Brett Sayre the other day. We were going over our team in the, two, in the uh, uh, Cabin Fever League. And he said to me, the one thing he said to me, and I, I just think people should keep this in the back of their minds, he said that he actually thinks that if Williams struggles, it's not going to go to Taylor Rogers, And I agree with that. I don't think Rogers is the guy to close, even though he was so dominant in April, May. I mean, it really helped. If you had him and you were starting him in, 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 your, in your lineup every week, he was really scoring for you. The guy that he said might be worth a stash if things go a little wonky for Williams. And we should know that quickly. Because he may be exactly what you're saying, Patrick, which is Mariano Rivera. That's not insane. Is Brad Boxberger. Because Brad Boxberger is also in that pen. And Boxberger has had success in the closer role. So to me, it's not Rodgers. I think Rodgers plays that seventh, eighth inning guy. If Williams struggles, I think it goes to Boxberger. That's that's my instinct. DVR, what do you think? You're the Brewers guy. What do you guess? I think they'd go... Rodgers, if they were prioritizing skills for the role, but if they had, if they looked at it and said, Boxberger is one of those guys that maybe he needs to be in a routine for some reason, and you have worries about him in more than one inning at a time, and you want to keep him in that narrow role for those reasons, I could see it. There's a walks issue that comes without the elite of the elite strikeout rate that you need to be a great closer to okay. with Boxberger. So I'm, I'm down on him a little bit, but he has done it before. And I just think we have some uncertainty with roles potentially in Milwaukee. And that wasn't the case for the better part of the last three years. I do think Williams can take the job and run with it though, getting that opportunity if that's what they want to do initially. Uh, Ruiz is a guy I don't fully understand for the Brewers right now. I was really surprised hmm. to see him, stay on the roster through the trade deadline. I thought maybe they acquired him to put him in a different deal to get an upgrade somewhere else on the roster. Patrick, what do you think of Esturi Ruiz, who just a few weeks ago was a really hot waiver pickup getting that opportunity in San Diego? Right. Now he's stuck back at AAA, at least for the time being. But the only block to his playing time in Milwaukee is Tyrone Taylor, who's hitting 227, 294, 434. So I know he's got some home runs, but uh, is Tyrone Taylor really going to block uh, Asturi Ruiz? I don't know, but um, it's not like he's being blocked by you know, an absolutely can't miss guy in that role. I, last time I checked, Taylor was hitting ninth all the time. So it's not like he's a, doesn't seem like a big part of the of the Milwaukee offense uh, and he's, you know, one short slump and it seems like a, a slumpy profile from forcing their <laughs> hand and maybe get, maybe forcing them to think about what are we going to do because we can't, we can't survive with this guy hitting 220, even if he does hit a home run every you know week and a half. That that's one of my favorite things I've ever heard on the show. A slumpy profile. That's really, that really like that. You know what? This is story Ruiz thing is so interesting to me. Because, it, it, you know, one thing that I really took note of over the course of the last week is the poker games that are played right by the trade deadline. Yeah. Like Luis Severino. They announced yesterday that Luis Severino came out and threw. Right. And I'm going because I own him in GDD, um, which is another league. And I'm like, oh, good news. Then the, the second after they make the trade with Montas, they throw him on the 60 day DL. So why do they do that? They sent out a smoke signal basically saying, we don't need a pitcher. We could use one. 
but we don't need a pitcher. Then as soon as they make the trade and they don't have to give up so much, which I think we're going to get to, they, they, they all of a sudden turn it into this. And it makes me feel like Asturias Ruiz was sort of a similar situation. It surprises me, DVR, that you're not more excited about Milwaukee with Ruiz. It seems like a really interesting, you got Freelick, you got Garrett Mitchell coming up, you, you got lots of guys. But I feel like Asturias Ruiz, he, he's got the, you know, maybe he's your center fielder of the future. Is that possible? Totally possible. I wonder if he's going to be one of those players where the power sort of disappears, though, at the top level. I think that's where mm-hmm. I'm skeptical. If the hit tool's good, if he gets on base and he can play good defense in center field, then it ends up being a great long-term addition because it's a clear area of need in the organization. I think he's going to be very frustrating for us in fantasy leagues in the short term, though, because that Taylor line that Patrick put out there, it's just a shade below a 100 WRC+. Plus. The offensive environment is still still down league-wide to the point where it just doesn't take that much to hold on to a spot, especially in the bottom third of an order. So how's Taylor's defense, Devier? How is that defense? I don't I don't really know it. Good defense. It's not elite, but it's good. I, mean, I was thinking of him as more of a corner guy, but then there goes Lorenzo Kane. One other guy just to I don't want to forget, Robert Hassel, going back just to spot. I think that's like the best thing that could have happened for Robert Hassel. I think that moves up his timeline considerably. So instead of thinking of him in 2024, you're looking at 2023. This is just another outfielder with speed and power. It's a really, really good fantasy asset for people. If you don't know Robert Hassel, um, you should. You should. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's move on to the Yankees deadline moves. I mean, just talking about this team in full context of everything they did. They got Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino in a trade with the A's. They added Scott Efros from the Cubs to their bullpen. They made the trade for Andrew Benintendi almost uh, feels like a week ago now. And then they made one of the last trades of deadline day, getting Harrison Bader in a swap <laughs> for Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> that is the weirdest one of all. You know, I'll throw uh, this to you first. The Montas thing made sense because of the Severino injury. And then I thought, okay, this is a playoff caliber rotation. They got the depth they need. They traded away a few guys at AAA. They're they're just fine. Where did the Montgomery Bader swap come from? Because that that really kind of stole the show at the end of the deadline as far as surprising deals go. Yeah, my friend Alan Dillon, uh, who's a regular listener to our show, sent me uh, WTF question mark question mark triple exclamation mark. What the hell is going on there? I'll tell you, as a Jordan Montgomery owner and someone who watches him pitch, he's really, he's struggling. He's really struggling. Harrison Bader does not surprise me in the least that the Cardinals are moving on from him um, because of something that happened. And we talked about it maybe five weeks ago when he didn't run something out 
and they were really pissed at him about it. And they were like, you got to run that out. And I was like, you know, the, the, the leash on him is very short. What it gives the Yankees is the opportunity to keep Stanton in the designated hitter role, I think. Um, and somebody, I read somebody, was, was this what you said? Uh, the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, that he'll just be a really good defensive replacement. It does surprise to a certain extent, but I don't see Montgomery being one of the top four starters in that rotation. Um, and adding Montas, I mean, what are we looking at now? We've got uh, Cole, Montas, uh, Nestor, Tyone, and Herman. Is that right? Yep, that's the current five. Yeah, it's a little short, if you ask me. I don't disagree with you. It's a little short, but they weren't trusting Montgomery. They, they, in a way, it's like the Yankees never played well for him. I, but I don't, I can't say I fully understand it, but I do like the Bader pickup. I think that that defense in Yankee Stadium is going to play, keeps Judge in right field, though I think Judge was a great center fielder. I don't fully understand it, and I don't hate it. Patrick, what do you think? Well, I, I like the trade from New York side, that particular trade from New York side, but more than I like it from St. Louis side, because I'm with you. Uh, Jordan Montgomery has not looked the same over the last month or, or five weeks, pretty much since just before the break. He he was pretty dominant before that, not dominant in the sense of Garrett Cole dominant, but he was winning games. He was getting fairly deep into games. I liked what he was doing. And then all of a sudden it just seemed to stop. It was like he hit a brick wall of some kind. And I think the Yankees make a, a pretty smart move with, with Bader because, as you said, in the late innings, I don't know how much I want to trust Aaron Hicks out there defensively, and I do trust Harrison Bader. He can pinch run if he needs to, uh, come off the bench every so often to spell guys. I think the uh, point that Ian made about um, the DH spot with Giancarlo Stanton is also well made. I think this is a the kind of move that seems like it's marginal, but it's going to work out to be more important than that as they gear up for the playoffs and maybe even within the playoffs. And as far as the rotation, you know, losing Montgomery, first of all, as I said, I don't think it's that huge of a loss. But second of all, we know that by the time the playoffs roll around, you're not throwing five pitchers out there most of the time anyways, usually three. And from uh, from where I sit, looks like their top three are more than good enough. And if they have somebody for that fourth spot, whether it's Tyone or uh, whether it's Herman to get them through and rain outs or whatever happens during the playoffs. I think that they have improved their team across the board. And I think the, uh, the, this last trade Montgomery trade for Bader is a, is a really useful, smart move. The kind of moves that smart teams make. Can I say one more thing DVR before? Cause I want to hear what you say. There's also, you know, there's so many quality pitchers in that, in that bullpen right now with Zach Britton also coming back. You could be looking, I mean, it is a little risky because they only do have five really good starters, but you you could be looking at a situation, but not forget Schmidt though. There's also Schmidt, right? Clark Schmidt is also there. Davey Garcia is looking pretty good um, these days. He's starting to come back a little bit, but you could look at a bullpen game with this, with this, you know, but, but what's your concern DVR? Because you definitely are, you know, struggling a little bit with this idea. Montas had a shoulder issue. I think that's part of the reason the Yankees got a discount on him. It's either that or the A's don't care as much about middle infield prospects as everybody else does. The A's, it seems like in all these trades they've been making, are going quantity over quality. I'm not trying to talk down about Ken Waldachuk. I think he could be a good starter. I think he could be a number two or number three starter for them eventually. I think J.P. Sears is more interesting than some of the other 26, 27, 28-year-old 
pitchers they've brought in other trades. And I think for guys like Waldachuk, it's an easier, clearer path to just be a starter right away once he's ready for the big leagues. For someone like Sears, it's an opportunity right now. For someone like Medina, Luis Medina, I think, was probably going to be more of a reliever for the Yankees. The A's can keep trying him as a starter to see if it works. And if it doesn't, he'll be an electric late-inning guy, potentially. So I, I looked at that trade. I just thought the Yankees didn't have to go much for Montas. Therefore, something maybe was scaring other teams away. If that's true, then you've got a good bit of injury risk between Montas and Severino. We'll see Severino back hopefully in mid-September. That 60-day IL move, that's a big deal. Yeah, you're right. And 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 I think that they have to hope that Severino will be ready to give them some quality innings at the end of the season. You wonder if they were shutting him down a little bit too, though, right? First season off of TJ surgery, that maybe for Severino, because something's not adding up. I mean, it's not their job to tell the truth. But something wasn't someone kosher there because they they made it sound like he was doing fine. Patrick, did you notice that? Did it surprise you when Severino popped over to the 60 day deal? It did. And uh, forgive me for not remembering, but is this one of those accounting things where his last start was far enough ago that 60 days, it's not 60 days from recently, it's 60 days from a long time ago, or is it 60 days that's going to take us all the way to the end of the season? September 13th, September 13th. Yeah, September 13th. It could be that uh, they know what their injury situation is. I always lean towards giving the benefit of the doubt to the team that's trying to manage this. But something else that we have to keep in mind, they're not really going to have to be too worried about getting into the playoffs, unlike a lot of other teams. That's right. You know, they can kind of coast. They can test around, see what they've got, maybe, uh, you know, throw a couple of other guys in there, try a bullpen game or two. Goodness knows their bullpen's deep enough. I I, I think that we haven't seen the last of the machinations that the Yankees are going to try to figure out because their goal is not to make the playoffs at this point. Their goal is to win the World Series, and I think they're going to use the next eight weeks or however long there's left in the season to figure out what best they can do to accomplish that goal and go all the way. And of course, it's going to hinge a lot on pitching, but they seem to have designed in an attempt to strengthen the bullpen. They signed Scott Efros or or traded for Scott Efros. And and he's a kind of an underappreciated guy who's pitching really well this year. And you look down the list, Holmes, Efros, Loisaga, uh, Chapman, if they can straighten him out. Trevino's had up and down kind of things in Oakland, but maybe they get some any something, anything out of him. All of a sudden, I, I like the shape of the overall staff, even if the rotation looks a little bit dodgy, if Montas can't you know go the full distance. Can I say something that's not so darn dodgy? If you listen to us and you picked up Spencer Strider, Tonight, I just got a text message from Mershak. Six and two-thirds, one run, three hits, one walk, 13 strikeouts. Mamma mia. Mamma mia. (laughs) That is something. Holy smoke. Spencer Strider. Unbelievable. Going to get the win for sure. It's going to be reassuring for people who had him... uh after that blow up the the other game that so he comes back it strong it was a, yeah got to be happy about when a guy pitches poorly and then comes back and pitches well i got jose Barrios in a couple of rosters so i know whereof i speak <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been a bumpy ride so far with Barrios. yeah let's talk about twins for a few minutes here they made a few moves they got better in the rotation they got better in the bullpen Tyler Malley goes to the rotation, getting out of Great American Ballpark. Seems like he is maybe one of the biggest winners 
on an individual level at this trade deadline. Uh, what are your expectations for him with the move to Minnesota, Patrick? Exactly that. The first thing I thought of was Min to Sin uh, or two Min from Sin is a really good move for Tyler Molly. And plus he's crossing leagues and I'm in a, a American League only league. So I'm very curious to see what the bidding is like this weekend once he gets his first start in the American League. And I think I'm going to be fairly aggressive on Tyler Molly, partly because I don't have enough to compete on some of the other players. But I like Tyler Molly anyway. I had him on another uh, in another league where he was kind of disappointing this year, but I think that was partly because he wasn't getting run support, he wasn't getting bullpen support. It was pretty terrible, and all of a sudden he goes into Minnesota. It's a friendlier park. They've got a much better bullpen, of course. Jorge Lopez is over there now. All of a sudden that, that bullpen is one layer deeper than it was before, and it looks pretty sharp. I like Tyler Molly in Minnesota a lot. Ian, what do you think of that move and the additions to the bullpen with Lopez and Fulmer going there as well? I just, I'm like so weirded out by what happened in Baltimore this the last couple of days. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't, I, I, maybe these prospects are going to come through. I just think it's, I mean, even though they're winning tonight and Jorge Mateo with a three-run home run tonight. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Um, but uh, yeah, the Twins made themselves better. I don't have any feel for Tyler Molly. I've never owned him partially because of where he played for so many years. So DVR, I'm going to, I'm going to bow to you on this one. What do you think about Male? And, and I think Fulmer's great. Uh, I think Lopez is probably going to end up taking over the back of that bullpen, even though he has struggled lately. But what do you, what do you think of the twins? I think it's a clear closer by committee situation still, even after this move. I think that's the way Rocco Baldelli operates, right? He came from the Rays managerial tree. That's what the Rays do. I don't see any reason the twins would deviate from that. I just think they're deeper in the pen. They needed to make those moves. But with Mally, it's like they get them next year too. And you look year over year, every single season since 2018, Tyler Mally has had a home run rate above one homer per nine. And that is great American ballpark, right? He's a fly yeah. ball pitcher in a park that boosts up home runs. So I think he could actually be better than league average in terms of home run rate. We know he can miss plenty of bats. And the walk rate has come down a little bit compared to where it was back in the shortened season and even earlier in his career. He had a double-digit walk rate over 10% on multiple occasions. I think he's kind of quietly made himself one of those really steady like number three starters in real life that misses bats, and that plays up in our game quite a bit. So I, I really like this move for the Twins. You know, Once Luis Castillo ended up in Seattle, I think you know there was a pretty good, good fit there and this one fell into place perfectly you know Luis Castillo you may have missed out on him this past weekend but now if you still have some money left you get an impact guy in Mali that can come in and and possibly be a difference maker very close to that Castillo sort of level even though he's probably one notch below him in most rankings well yeah Castillo went for uh in tout American League Went for 660-something like that out of 1,000. Yep. It was the top fab guy who bid as much as he had to to be sure of winning. And I don't know that I'm going to have enough to, to compete for Tyler Molly, and I expect I'm going to lose, but I'm certainly going to going to throw what I can at the at the bid because I, I really like, as I said, I really like Tyler Molly and, and the uh, – Target field metrics for home runs allowed, which has been his big thing, are really minus. And then you compare them to Cincinnati, which is hugely plus. It's like a 45 or 50% decrease moving to Minnesota. I don't think Tyler Molly really could have landed anywhere better. I want to talk about that Mariners trade 
for a moment, the big one that they made. They mm. made a couple small moves too. Luis Castillo goes to Seattle. Four players go back to Cincinnati. Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore, a couple of pitchers also go. But in terms of deals you might see in a typical year, when the best pitcher available gets traded, this is about the best prospect package you can imagine, right? The Juan Soto thing, that's an outlier. That happens once in a lifetime, maybe, in terms of trade deadline deals. And I thought the Reds did really well here. Yes. We talked about the Great American Ballpark just a moment ago. Castillo, because he gets more outs on the ground, hasn't been as impacted by that as other pitchers. But he still stands to gain a little bit in terms of his home park factors. Some easy matchups still in the AL West, so not losing a whole lot division-wise. And now he's on a better team with good bullpen arms to protect his leads and a top-10 offense to score runs for him. So I would say there's, there's still an upgrade in overall value for Castillo going into this situation. But Ian, you talked about this being a lot like fantasy, this deadline. And I think the Reds were the team that recognized before a lot of other people that they weren't going to win the way they were built. So they needed to move to the future. And it bothered me initially because I thought they were good enough to be a playoff team this year back in March when they first started trading players away. And I got to give them props because they came up with a plan and they've seemingly have executed it really well with the young talent they brought back into the organization over the course of these last six months now. Well, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to talk Ariel Cohen. Ariel Cohen, who I did speak to briefly today on the phone. Um, Ariel Cohen said that he likes when we talk about the game, the fantasy game. Um, so I'm going to talk about the fantasy game for a minute. There is so much value as a fantasy player in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues if you're smart about it and if you don't uh, sell just for the sake of selling we've talked about that before to be out in front on this because it's a game of supply and demand and you take a league like maki right now right now there's three teams who are at the top of the heap in maki that has now limited what who is going to buy the team that gets out first and says, you know what? And we, Steve Gardner and I did this in XFL. We started trading in March because we knew that our target was 2023. So we started moving guys in March to get ahead of everybody else making those trades. As a fantasy player, if you're going to sell, and again, you don't want to sell just for the sake of selling, but you want to get a deal like the Reds just got for Luis Castillo. Because now, as I'm looking at what the Reds got for Castillo, and you compare that to what the A's got from the Yankees, and maybe Walter Chuck's going to be great. Maybe he will be. Sears might be good. But there's no Novelli Marte in that deal. You're not seeing Anthony Volpe move in that trade, right? Well, why? Because Castillo was the first domino to fall, and that was the expensive domino. And there's something to be learned from this, I think, as fantasy players. DVR, do you agree with what I'm saying? And have you seen this in action? I do. I've seen it. And that's why I think Montas had stuff still going on mm -hmm. with his shoulder that scared teams. Because I think in that case, the situation you're describing in Maki is not quite what was happening at the actual trade deadline today for the league. There were more teams still in contention, right? There were seven or eight teams in, in need of pitching. At least, yeah. That, that could have been making a run at Frankie Montas. So that's where I'm just looking at this and saying either the A's are are just on their own planet in terms of how they're evaluating players, like how they didn't get, if not Volpe back, 
Peraza. Oswald Peraza. How do you not get Peraza back as part of that trade? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't it's know. It's not like the A's have a bunch of middle infielders in the system already. Nikki <laughs> Allen, baby. Nikki Allen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to that's gonna work out. So, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think knowing what direction you're really going yeah. as soon as possible in a long-term league is really important. And if you need a real-life example of it, the 2022 Reds, have turned out to be a very good example of that. And I say that as someone that was harsh. I was very harsh on them because You're I pissed. thought they had, they play in the NL Central and the NL Central is weak. And I think that gave them a better path to winning a division than they would have if they were an NL East or an NL West team. Yeah, but these teams, like the like the Kansas City Royals, right? Like their ability over the course of the last number of years to just trade for the future. I love what the Cubs did trading Efros with with the pitcher. I, the pitcher's out of my head right now. But they're making moves. I, I found it interesting. Patrick, did you notice Contreras did not end up moving? Ian Happ did not end up moving. Did that surprise you? Did you expect Contreras to go? And are you disappointed for the Cubs? Or do you think that that was smart by the Cubs? You know, I... I always defer to the to the management of the team especially if i think the management of the team knows what they're doing and there are some teams in major league baseball where i don't think that kansas city being one of them where if they don't do something i'm much more likely to be critical i don't know what the cubs overall master plan was i know that if they wanted to trade contreras they certainly could have somebody would have given them something so it may be that they think that contreras is kind of a piece of their next really competitive team but getting back to what cincinnati was doing and i thought about this too i'm a reds fan and i thought coming into the season they they looked like a pretty competitive team they were pretty competitive last year but i think in retrospect now when i look back at it i think their management looked at the team and said yeah we might be able to squeak out a, a central division win we might sneak into a first or second wild card spot but we're not going very far in the playoffs no. and why build up a team to do that little you know it reminds me of a lot of nfl teams where like the detroit lions where every 6 years they sneak into the playoffs because of the the way that they jigger the schedule so weak teams play weak teams and pick up cheap wins but at the end of the day, they're not a championship-type contender, and I think Cincinnati's management, for better or worse, had greater ambitions. I like to think of it that way. And I noticed, in addition to Martin Arroyo, they also traded for Spencer Steer, who's a shortstop, Victor Acosta, who's a shortstop. So they got four pretty decent shortstop <laughs> prospects, and that's on its on the surface seems kind of goofy but when you look into it a bit you can see that a lot of these guys are capable of playing moving over to third moving over to second sure. and you know the shortstop is often the best athlete on the team and maybe that's what they're just stacking up is a bunch of good baseball players that they think you know sometime down the road some of these guys are going to be moved around but they can all hit and they're all pretty good ball players uh, like you like we have said Cincinnati seems to be rebuilding intelligently not in a way that a lot of people approve, but I think what they're doing, they're doing cleverly. And if this was a fantasy team, I'd tip my hat to the person that was doing it. Let's tip our hat to him. Let's tip our hat to him. Good job. It's really good. I was just looking at our friend James Anderson's list over at Rotowire because it's right there on the Reds depth chart. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, Edwin Arroyo, Noel V. Marte, Matt McLean, Spencer Steer, Victor Acosta. Six of their first nine prospects on James's list are listed as shortstops. Two of the other players... Christian Encarnacion Strand, who came over as part of the, the Mali deal, and Cam Collier also oh, like play Cam on the infield, Collier. third base. And then, of course, Nick Lodolo, who's going to graduate, is in that mix right now. He looks really good, by the way. I'm really excited for the final two months of Nick Lodolo. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And one guy, one under the radar, Nando DeFino type guy, guy I picked up today in Devil's Rejects because you can pick up whenever you want, picked up Aristides Aquino. That is a Nando guy. That is a Nando guy. And you know what? He's going to play. There's another guy who is going to play. You ready? Fraley. Uh, Yeah, Fraley. On another team on the Angels, is Magnera Sierra going to get a shot now with the trade? I was just tweeting about this this game from... Jeez, six years ago now, I think, Clay Link and I went up to to Appleton to watch Cody Medeiros, the former first-round pick of the Brewers, make his low-A debut at the time. And I was looking at the roster from that game. They played the Cardinals affiliate, and Magnaris Sierra was the best Cardinals prospect playing in that game. And he is one of those really skinny guys that you think is going to get the bat knocked out of his hands at the big league level. I don't know if he's going to hit enough in the big leagues to ever get to that speed. That's been the, the long-term concern there, but it's worth watching what they do. They traded for Mickey Moniak too. So it's a lot one of, of those guys could play a ton in center field in the short term, at least while Trout is out. Yeah. And, and there's, and, and Trout, I think is Trout coming back. I mean, is this an Ariel Cohen got it again? Yeah. You know, Mike Trout, I mean, Hey, you can never count on him playing a full season. It's just not going to happen. And he's right. Dang says it. he's coming back. I kind of believe him. I yeah, do too. but for what, guys? When, what, what is he going to come back for? Does Mike Trout strike you as a guy that is going to misdirect us in the media? I said this about Clayton Kershaw back when, when we didn't know about Kershaw's arm status for this season. I said, I don't think Kershaw's the kind of guy that like misleads the public in an interview to then come back later and, uh, and actually, I'm not coming back. I don't think Trout is cut from that cloth either. In fact, I'll, I'll add something to this. I actually think this is a good time if you're in a long-term league to see if you yeah. can get a discount on Mike Trout. I think yeah, people could. are more fearful than they need to be about this injury. This injury is scary, this, but I think the on, price, man, the discount on Trout right now might be the steepest Trout discount you could ever get in a long-term league. Okay, so um, Patrick, I'm going to bring it to you, and then DVR, I'm bringing it to you. Who do you take, if you're a Mike Trout owner and you're spooked, what is the level of player that you're going to take? for Mike Trout. I've got a I've got a league where I'm looking at it and like what what we'll just do one for one instead of like a, a three man, you know, three for one kind of trade. Like who who do you you know if you get offered Tim Anderson, do you take him? If you get offered uh I mean I, I don't know. What who 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 do you take for Mike Trout? Well, you know, if it's a keeper league and I presume that's what we're talking about then a lot yeah. of it depends on the build of the team that you have. You know, uh, if you need a shortstop, I'd look at Tim Anderson for Trout now just because of the stolen bases. It's uh, it's one of those questions where it really does come down to who exactly are you talking about getting? And in the universe of players, there's lots of guys. I mean, I'd, I'd take Garrett Cole, you know, because I can, I, there's a, there's a great talent there. And, and I, I'd do you take to, Aaron Nola? If you have Trout, if you have Trout, do you take Aaron Nola for him straight up right now? No, because I think Aaron Nola's kind of in the same boat. And, uh, you know, if if I want to get Aaron Nola, I think I can offer less than Mike Trout and maybe get him too. 
DVR, what do you think? I'd rather have Trout than Nola in a dynasty league right now. You would? Yep. I think it's close, but I, I'd rather be on the Trout side. Yeah, me too. It's close. Guys, it's close. I, I'm not convinced. This back thing. I mean, you put on top of the back with the calf, with the with the knee, with the, with the shoulder, with the wrist. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of trouty, trouty trouble in this wide world, guys. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I own... See, once I do start doing REL, I start picking up his cadence, even when I'm using my own voice. <laughs> I start almost like, and, 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 um, you know, I have, I have Aaron Nolan in a league and Tom Trudeau has Mike Trout in a league. And if he sent me an offer of Mike Trout for Aaron, actually, I would do it in a minute. So yeah, I probably wouldn't, I, it's probably not as close as I think. I don't know if I'd do it in a minute though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty close. Like if you needed... If you needed a bat, I mean, if you needed an arm to compete right now and you had trout, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't trust him. I don't trust him anymore. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take him. Like, where does he go in NFBC next year? Is he now, a, is he still at the end of the first round like he was this past year? Or are you talking about late second, early third at this point? Because you cannot trust him to stay healthy. DVR, I'll ask you that next year in, in the draft. Where are you taking Mike Trout? Oh, I have there's two separate questions there, I think. Where is he going to go in the drafts, and then where would I take him? Well, you're a very, very smart man, and you often convince me off of things. So where is he going to go, and where would you take him? And Patrick, get your head ready on this question, because it's coming to you next. Okay. Now I'm asking Patrick David a question. That's really fun. Derek Van Riper, where does Mike Trout go, and where would you take him? I've got one more question for you before I can answer those questions. Shoot. How can we approximate the trout injury risk let's compare it to other injured stars right so how would you compare mike trout's injury situation today to let's say aaron judge's injury situation entering this season is that a fair approximation no it's not because with judge at least last year he had a full season under his belt he he had struggled two years with injury and played i think two or three full there's yet to be a season that Trout has played 120 games. I'm not looking at the stats exactly, but I haven't seen it in five years. So, like, it's, it's like with Buxton with his knee right now. Buxton is out again, right? We have to understand. He's he's hoping to play 100 games. So we just got to understand that's part of the discount with him. So, he no, it's it's worse than it's worse than it was for, for Judge. It's it's not even, it's not, no, it's, it's worse. So let's assume that he does make it back for the final five weeks. Where does he go? Where would you consider him? I'm thinking about him in the pick 40 range for sure, if he falls that far. I think okay. if if we consider that Judge's ADP for NFBC leagues from April 1st through April 7th, I ran that search just now, Judge's ADP was 33 overall. Wow. We got him at 46. Yeah. Rob and I got him at 46 in the main event. You got a, got a great deal. So deal. I, I think if we're going to say that this is riskier than judge, and I would agree with the way you, you broke it down, because we're talking about more than just the back with Trout, you're looking at about pick 40 for the range where I'd be comfortable taking him. I think that's about where he's going to go. I think it's a decision yeah, I'm going to have to right. make because I can't imagine he falls much more than that. I can see could so fall. many people in a 15-team league, though, Imagine people that want to go pocket aces saying, oh, I can get Mike Trout. I can get my first hitter. I can get a, I can get maybe the best hitter in the entire pool if he's healthy. I can get him at the end of round three. 
maybe beginning around four, and I can go pocket aces early. You can hear that narrative already. Damn, you're in trouble if you do that. DVR, you can't do that. I think people might do that. Okay. All right. Patrick Dabbitt. Patrick, what do you say? Where's he? Where would he? Where's he going to go? Where would you take him? Before I do, I looked him up. 134 games played in 2019 and 53 out of 60 in the short season. So he has been yeah. a little more durable than we remember, I think. And just as an aside, I was talking to a guy who's a yoga guy, a, phys- a trainer who specializes in yoga training and who happens to be a baseball fan. And he said he thought the problem with Trout is he's too tight that he's too muscular and he needs to do stretching because a lot of these injuries that he gets seem to be connective tissue injuries rather than breaks or, or, you know, tears and things like that in the actual muscle fiber. So take that for what it's worth. I think it's a correctable problem, but to make a, a long question longer, I guess, I would say that wherever Trout goes, it's going to be too early for me is I suspect hmm. is going to be what's happening. I'd take him, you know, yeah, end too. of round three, early round four, like, like DVR said, but I don't think that's going to happen. Somebody's always going to remember, oh, you know, they get into the end of the second round, start of the third round. Oh, Mike Trout, this could be the year. Look at me. I'll be the genius who took Mike Trout. I bet he goes sort of early third round, late second round, and it's too early for like me. 36. Yeah. Somewhere in there. 35, 36. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can smell that. I can certainly smell that 35, 36. If he comes back this year, if he's done for the season, then you're talking about fourth round. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think the rest of this season matters kind of a lot in terms of fine-tuning that price, but I think we've got the range pretty well figured out. Unless he comes back and and hits, you know, nine home runs in the month and all of steals three bases and <laughs> just looks like the old Mike Trout because there's going to be that recency bias and everybody's going to get excited again. And if, if that happened and I was a Mike Trout fantasy manager in a keeper league, that's when I would be trying to trade him. That's right. You, if you own Mike Trout right now and you trade Mike Trout right now, you're trading at the, at the bottom, bottom of the, the market, bottom yeah. of his value. That's why I'm in right now. That's why I'm trading for him right now because I think yep. this is that window when everyone's fear is near its peak, and when fear peaks, <sighs> that's when you get a bargain. It's true. Is there, are there any other teams? Because we are running low on time here that we really want to touch on, like the Red Sox or the Braves or the Astros, that that anybody has big vibes and feelings about i'll jump in real quick and then yeah patrick you can kind of share any other observations from the deadline that you thought were interesting i i thought it was strange the red Sox played the middle that's just bizarre i mean i think the only justification for it is that devers story and chris sale are all on the injured list right now if they all come back healthy and they can stay afloat between now and that time they could be a pretty dangerous team in the postseason even though they didn't go out and make massive moves they just made a couple small adjustments after trading away christian vasquez but i thought one of the more fascinating trades that happened on tuesday was the phillies swap with the angels logan ohapi the catching prospect goes to anaheim they didn't necessarily have a long-term catcher in place he could be their starting catcher probably by this time next year if not sooner Brandon Marsh goes back the other way to the Phillies. They've needed a center fielder for a couple of seasons. At the very least, they get a great defender. He ends up in a more hitter-friendly ballpark. And there's a chance that new hitting coaches can maybe get that K rate down a little bit from Brandon Marsh as well. So I actually thought this was a good trade for both teams. And I was just really surprised the Angels were willing to trade away Brandon Marsh, considering that Joe Adele's been the player they've been a little more up and down with with that roster spot. They don't really like Marsh very much. They just don't. I mean, they 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 weren't playing him. They're platooning him. 
they, they got some decent value, I guess, for him. Um, on the Red Sox playing the middle, I kind of liked it a little bit more than I expected. Losing Christian Vasquez is really weird, but I like Reese McGuire. Reese McGuire was a top prospect when he came out. I think it was a first-round pick all those years ago. Pretty sure it was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the guy they got in the trade is an under-the-radar player that people should know, Willier Abreu. If you're in a dynasty league and Willier Abreu is available, and he should be because he's 0% owned in CBS. So I we own him. Wilson Caraman and I own him in Devil's Rejects. We picked him up about a month ago. He is a power speed guy who actually walks a ton. Um, you know, and he's not very old either. I mean, he he's he's sort of young. He's 23 years old. And here, listen to these numbers, DVR. He hit 249 with a 399 OBP and a 459 slugging, 15 home runs, 23 steals in 411 plate appearances at Double A this year. Strikes out a little bit too much, but he walks at 19%. I don't know. I kind of like that. It's the kind of guy that Nando Defino would go, hey, that William Abreu, it's a guy. He's a guy. I, I read him on Milb. Milb, I, I swear it's Milb, not anything else. <laughs> Um, so there you go. Willier or Abreu. I like the way they played the middle. I don't mind it. And I'll tell you one thing. If those Red Sox do come back and Chris Sale comes back with that finger, broken finger, knucklehead that he is. If he comes back, I wouldn't be not too happy if they show up against the Yankees in the playoffs. They're a little scary. They're still a little scary. So I don't mind that they, they played the middle. I don't mind that guys. I also really am happy that uh, Contreras stayed with the Cubs. I mean, you know, he was crying his last at bat there and they'll give him a giant ovation. He should sign a five-year contract with that team. He is the captain of that team. They should keep him and they should build around him. Anyway, those are, those are some of my, some of my thoughts. Patrick, any, any teams that you wanted to make mention of? Yeah, I was interested to see Razel Iglesias go to Atlanta from the Angels as the Angels obviously are casting off salary as fast as they can, like they're, you know, bailing out the Titanic and, a lot of the analysis I've seen says, well, he's going to go from being the regular closer. He's going to go set up Kenley Jansen, pick up some scrap saves down the stretch. Jansen's a free agent at the end of the season, and there's no way Atlanta's going to re-up him and all of his health issues while they're paying a setup guy $16 million bucks a year, which is what Iglesias is getting paid. So if somebody in your keeper league is thinking of dumping Iglesias now because he's not the closer, Ooh. he's going to be the closer in Atlanta next year. Ooh. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's the closer in Atlanta this year, frankly, because we've seen Kenley Jansen be pretty uneven at times this year, and they are in a scrap to get into the playoffs and to go far in the playoffs. So don't be sleeping on Razel Iglesias is what I'd say. And the the only comment I had about Boston was I saw everything they were doing and I thought it made sense right up until they traded for Tommy Pham, who's a free agent at the end of the year. And that's where I kind of thought, I don't understand the reality of this, but maybe they're simultaneously going for it this year and trying to figure things out for down the road. Maybe they like Reese McGuire more than I do. And as much as Ian does, I don't know, but, uh, Iglesias to Atlanta, I think, is a really interesting trade that we're maybe not getting, you know, the full value of. And I was curious what you guys thought about Joey Gallo going to the Dodgers and taking his 081 batting average. And <laughs> it seems like he's got a path to playing time. You know, Trace Thomas, the aptly named James Outman, even though he's uh, seven for his first eight or something like that. Hanser Alberto. These these guys aren't going to stand in the way of a of a resurgent Joey Gallo. The question is, is there any chance that he's going to resurge because he has a fresh start on a contending team? I have a I have a thought on that, DVR. And you should have a thought on this too, DVR. All right. You live in California now. 
I lived both in New York and in California. There is an energy to living in New York City. You guys ran from a guy from a butcher with knives. <laughs> he was looking for the knives. That's why we were running. Yeah, that is the energy. And this is a good, the good wraparound close. That is the energy <laughs> of New York. It is a high kinetic <laughs> energy. Once you land in Los Angeles, and I actually lived about 15 minutes away from Dodger Stadium when I lived there for three years, through the happiest years of my life. It is so chill. And Joey Gallo is a guy who seems to live with PTSD. He is. We, I talked about self-talk on the show. I th- actually, I think I talked about that on Patrick's show uh, last mm-hmm. two weeks ago. How players talk to themselves and how they feel about themselves, to me, tells me so much about how they're going to do. Joey Gallo in New York was booed constantly for, for decent reason. I mean, his strikeout rate must have been in the high 40s, really, if you think about it. Um, I think there's an opportunity here that I see Joey Gallo helping the Los Angeles Dodgers win a World Series. And everyone goes, really? They just got him for a bucket of balls. So I think it's a great, it's a no-brainer play. I think Trace Thompson's a little bit better. Um, Outman is the outman, I'm afraid, for him, at least for now. Uh, but I, I like this play for Joey Gallo. Just emotionally, I think that he's going to be much more relaxed. He doesn't need to be even close to being the guy. Um, and I think I think it could work out for him. DVR, you you feel the chill of California. What's it like for you? Yeah, I, I think it's it's helping. <laughs> it's helping me in a few different ways. So I think with Gallo, the biggest surprise, if you look at his numbers year over year, he's swinging at a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, uh, more than he has really at any point in the last four years. I think that's a big part of why he has struggled so much this season in New York. I think the Dodgers might be able to help fix him, but I think. You also have to ask yourself, is a guy that hits 201 for his career and has a 328 OBP with big power, is that good in my league? It really depends on your roster situation. Can you afford that hit and batting average? Or if you play in an OBP league, is it worth trading for him because the counting stats around that power will be good? Like I, I tend to think he's he's probably going to get back to being the the last good version of Gallo we've seen. Not, he's, not that he's going to get back to being some amazing Frankenstein version of Gallo that does every possible thing right. The 2019 version of Gallo, which was a half season, mirage, right? We're never going to see that. That was 70 games where he hit 22 homers and had a 253, 389, 598 line. That guy, I don't think exists over a prolonged stretch ever again. I agree. I think you're right. This is a uh, the junior version of Nando DeFino. So for the man who has spent more hours talking baseball today than any man significantly on this planet, Derek Van Riper. That's me. And for the man who has graced us with his kindness and wisdom tonight and is one of the legendary voices of this game. And we're so grateful he joined us. And it was just great to have you, Patrick Davitt. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Ian Khan, and uh, DVR uh, DVR will be with us next week. I will be uh, with us next week, and our our dear partner and friend, Nando Dofino, will be joining us back again soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a a great uh, enjoyment today listening to all these trades go down, and good luck in your AL and NL onlys this weekend. We'll see you next time. Good talk. Good talk. Bye. Bye.